Welcome back to Birthing and Justice, or welcome for the first time if this is your first episode. I'm Dr. Ruth D'Souza, and this is a podcast dedicated to making systems of birth safer for all who use them. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Bunwarung people of the Eastern Kulin Nations, where I'm an uninvited guest. Sovereignty was never ceded. Today I'm talking with Associate Professor Sarah Motta, a proud mestiza salvaje of Colombia, Chibcha, Polish Jewish and Celtic lineages. We talk about mother lines, kinship, solidarity and social reproduction. A quick heads up that we'll be talking about trauma, suicide, mental illness and displacement in this episode, which may be distressing to some listeners. If this one's not for you today, feel free to flick through all our other episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. How would you like to start our conversation together? And uh, I ask this because I've moved, you know, I moved here from Aotearoa where it was very typical to start with a karakia or a prayer. And I wondered if you might want to start for us in some way that feels meaningful and right for you to kind of maybe bless, guide, warm, whatever feels right for you. Okay, so I'll open in honouring this space where I'm sitting. It's a kind of a pretty gentrified building on a sacred ancient land that still continues and it's at the waterway. So I'm right next to the estuary here in Mullumbimba, Newcastle and it's where fresh and salt waters meet of the Waramai and the Awabakal. So I give my honour and my blessing and my respect to custodians of this land and elders, ancestors and future leaders and on our ongoing sovereignty that's never been ceded. I also convoca las energías de mis abuelas, de mis ancestras, para que nos acompañen hoy día en la encarnación de la escucha profunda, en la sanación mutua y en este florecimiento que merecemos. And so I also call to presence the ancestors, my grandmothers in a very complex sense of the grandmother, from the lands that also hold me in my lineages to really be present with us and to support us so that we embody or in flesh deep listening, escucha profunda, but also kind of mutual healing, that this encounter itself is healing. And also that flourishing that we are so fucking deserving of <laughs> um, and that sometimes seems to fall out of my hands, slip, you know, um, and... Uh, and I really like we're sitting in a point at the moment of um, in some of the lineages that hold me because I've kind of pieced together the feminine divine lineages of my lineages of the Colombian Chibja, also Eastern European Jewish and also Celtic. And um, is we're sitting in a moment actually where fire and water meet and these energies have been coming up for me so strongly. So this fire of which is very common to me, like the warrior fire, but a fire that can exhaust you know, can really exhaust you because you're always fighting against those fucking boundaries and barriers and violations. At the same time as, oh, what is the fire that is the hearth <laughs> that warms us, right, that we can sit and share our story? I'm trying to hold that and it's been coming because stuff's been up and stuff is always bloody up. And then the water, this beautiful water that is just the water of life and that nurtures and is fertile and enables the cycles and the flow of the stuff that can get stuck. So they're really sitting with me very strongly at the moment and I think ancestrally, energetically. So I'm going to call in those two energies to accompany us today as well. 
I think we need both fire and water, but the complexities of both and to see where they take us. Oh, that's so beautiful, Sarah. And um, I was just saying to Olivia, the producer, that um, I'm heading up to uh, Wabakol and Waramai country uh, from Bunwarung country where I am right now. So I'm, I'm looking at Western Port Harbour. I can see it from my window. So it feels kind of beautiful that we're, you know, speaking to each other with a view of water or proximity to water. Uh, and I'm on Bunwarung land that was never ceded as well. And, uh, you know, I, I know that you're a kindred spirit who's um, very committed to sovereignty and we'll be talking some more about that. Um, but I'm actually going to be carrying um, wood and water camping because uh, before I arrive on Waramai and Awabakal country, I'm going to be um, camping for six days where I'll you have to take in your own wood and your own water so that you can cook and so so that uh, idea of those energies feels just right so thank you for that so can you tell us a little bit about you and why you care about birthing um <laughs> well I'm from many different lands and lineages and that has been something that's been very present as my family's been across lands both out of displacement and desire from when I was a little kid and I was in London for the first nine years with kind of parts of the family and other parts very long away and um, I think that I have been from the start of my journey in relation always committed to some form of justice with the communities I brought, I was brought up in like public housing, so in very multicultural, in uh, mixed mixed space. The projects, you know, that you might call them if you're in other parts of the world, so many different names to say the same thing. And I always had a strong sense of injustice. I always had a strong sense of violation that we were violated, that kids were policed, that you know I was policed at school, and and I don't know, I was very political from the start it was kind of interesting like from seven I was like landing out leaflets and shit with parts of the family and the community but also grew up in a time where racialized lines were inflamed because there was a big growth of the national front in London when I was there for those first nine years and um kind of the shift to neoliberalism and the decline of that state-led model that was dominant in the UK and so there, the, these racialized lines were also very strong because my mother's side is like the Polish Jewish and then the Celtic. And so I was living with her and my grandmother and auntie and I was the little brown baby. And so I was very marked out. So I remember having like dreams when I was like five, six of like being taken away from the family. And so I, there's always been this, it's not a problematic, it's a magic as well, but this sense of like being across cultures and languages and classes and places and an element of quite strong displacement for me. But as well, this kind of coming together and this richness of magic. And this has always somehow related to mother lines. It's always related to mother's daughters, mother's daughters being separated, grandmother's mothers being separated, aunties, you know, and, and mothers being separated, sisters being separated. There is a massive history across my lines of this separation. And there is a massive history of almost like displacement from being mother and displacement of being mothered in the broadest of senses and displacement of, of homecoming as daughter. There is a there's a real thing of and, and not just individually, but as a collective problematic of where where are we daughters and and sons and 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 children who are accepted and where are our mothers so often they're gone 
for different reasons, you know, from like my generation, a lot of that was to do with, I guess, complex post-trauma and displacement across the lines where the mothers weren't there either because they weren't there or because they kind of were meant, you know, had gone mad. And like, I, I hate the term, like I don't want to pathologise, but the soul wounding had been so strong that they couldn't be present. The wounds were so strong, right, that they were, and the patterns were so strong that often there was a lot of harm. And I guess that's also led me to go through um, multiple births almost. I've had multiple births of recoverings and rememberings and of re-piecing together and of making sense of that kind of magical mix-up, <laughs> which had a lot of not nice stuff in it, as well as a lot of incredible elements across the community I was in and the mixed communities that I, when we moved as well, and then my own internal family dynamics as part of that. And so, yeah, the question of the mother line, the question of how do you piece together the mother lines of communities and colonised communities, indigenous communities who've been who've been ripped apart, and how do you re-piece that back in ways that don't then become assimilation and don't then mirror the very dynamics of these heteropatriarchal forms of fucking violent family kinship and, and possession, which are not ours, actually, and which have often been used to do violence and delegitimise our forms of family and mothering and birthing and, and birthing and mothering in a broader sense. So both birthing, I have birthed three children, and I am a mother and identify with that and as a racialized mother, but I mean it also of the cycles of life and the transitions of life of different stages and the birthing of projects and imagination and presence in the world and our being as, as freedom in the world and the ways in which that is such a that is such a sigh of attack of, of you know of the current system so I guess it's always been there uh, sometimes more articulated than others this relationship but very very strongly strongly present for me in this period. Can you tell us a bit more about the the joyous um, arrival of the daughter, the homecoming as daughter? The joyous homecoming as fucking daughter. Oh, wow. There's so many layers to this. Um, I think part of that, so all of this stuff I'm talking about is political for me because it's all about the remembering, the reclaiming, the sovereignty practices of this piecing together of mother lines and of our right to birth and be mothers and be in relation and kinship in our terms and forms. And I think a big part of that has been coming into collective relation with other Indigenous, Afro, Mestiza, women of colour um, in the different territories and lands that I've lived in and that have received me. And have doing so in ways where we are creating kinship and 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 siblinghood or sisterhood or in its complex layers otherwise, and which we can develop like pedagogical practices and political practices which enable us to reclaim our sovereignty collectively over territories of land in a very complex sense and place in a very complex sense because I am, you know, in these multiple places and so many of the women in community that I work with are too, um, but also over our bodies, right? And understanding or in the practices that I work with in relation, like country and land and Madre Tierra has all these wisdoms and knowledges and kind of portals of knowing that we can reconnect to and that can be part of this process of sovereignty making and, and self-determination and liberation but so does our body and often these kinds of 
fracturings, these kinds of displacements can crisscross in our somatic um, embodied being in the world and, you know, can result in the internalization of some of these logics, right, that have been set to harm us. And so the un-internalizing, the healing, the, un- the, the unlearning, the unknotting, the entangling, the also involves creating those spaces together collectively, which take seriously that, that those those struggles over the sovereignty of territory as land and body and self and the reclaiming and remembering of the knowledges of our bodies in relation, of our ancestral relation, of our more than human in relation. Um, and so I think if I, if I really sit with this, because sometimes, you know, it's ongoing. <laughs> it's like these journeys are ongoing, right? We're still in a really fucking violent space at the same time. It's beautiful, incredible, like survivance and joy and creativity and, and doing it anyway. Um, is that really the forms of homecoming when we come into circle, when we come into relation, when we come into collectivity, when we begin to journey with all this together and this reclaiming of wisdoms um, and of our different lineages, of our different histories, of stories. In some ways, perhaps that's that's where one becomes the daughter who is home. I think there's another another layer, like actually with the daughters. Um, you know, in many ways, I wasn't able to be parented. So a long time, I felt a bit like an exile from myself. And actually being a mother and, and mother for ch- children who I mother, but also being a mother in a broader sense in the community of holding space and holding space for young ones who are going through sometimes, you know, the elements of this system and its violences as well as the the learning to walk with the dignity and the pride and the deep knowing and the connection, holding space for that and actually recognising, recognising what it means to hold space as mother or a centre of the circle, or it's called andera, we might call it, in ways that do not reproduce these abusive, power over, suffocating, alienating relationships upon which the matrix of the current society reproduces itself. And that's hard lessons because it is learning and unlearning like abusive dynamics because this system is premised upon, you know, systematic abuse right and so it's unlearning and not modeling being victim but survivor learning to work with abusive dynamics actually really complex shit (laughs) but also not the saving there's a whole history of saving and sacrifice and it's like you know we've had some lots of things happen in our my direct family and you know one of my children daughters has gone through a lot of of stuff which is you know walking (laughs) the line between life and death um, and learning that actually one cannot save another and that creating these right relations and creating and healing these mother lines involves allowing and holding space and not sacrificing that this is not a politics or a practice of sacrifice and that that's not what love means and that actually that burden of responsibility, which is um, involves a denial of self, is actually not our practices at all. And, and they're really hard lessons because they take you to borders and edges, right? 
They rupture borders and edges of shells of self that might have served at certain moments to survive and are totally legitimate, but actually in the journey of our liberation and towards this flourishing as life, right, and as our lives well lived and injustice making, we need to let them go. And that, you know, that is a a life-death birth. I mean, the life-death rebirthing is such a thematic that it's through so much of these practices of politics of kind of healing justice and so to become daughter homecoming is definitely collective and multiple and complex and layered about sovereignty and territories but it's also to become mother actually there's something about that and to become racialized black mother indigenous mestiza mother when we've always been denied that we could mother yeah there's also another denial that i think you're very passionate about uh, as am I, and that's um, you know whether people of color can be scholars and knowers, you know, <laughs> and and I love the way that you really take up that space unapologetically and gloriously. How, how did you, as a brown single mother, come come to come to the university? How did that happen? <laughs> oh, 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 fuck those journeys. Yes, lovely. Well, you know, I've always been a militant. So like I said, from seven, literally, and, and in differing lineages as well, right? But always. <laughs> and, you know, some of those leftist revolutionary traditions that I was around, um, they, um, they saw education as a site of struggle. They saw struggle over hegemony and ideas as really important. And that was part of my part of my lineages right part of my lineages politics and and kind of revolutionary politics decolonizing politics and um so I I mean there's a long journey that got me there but I kind of returned to education after leaving in about when I was about 26 um and at the time I was a single mom and I had my first baby and we were actually homeless (laughs) as you are um and um I knew somebody in admissions at LSE it was a really bloody institution at LSE and i you know, work around Latin America and had been anyway politically, even though I was at that point in London again. And um, she got, she was telling me there was this master's there, right? There was a thing, and, and like, it was actually undersubscribed, so it was new, so I hadn't got all these subscribers because I'd not got a grade that would have allowed me to do it because there was a whole political battle in my degree as well. I swore to <laughs> blow up the university anyway, or whatever it was, someone motion say that, but I swore that I would not go back to that space because it was just a space of power over us and violence. And so I applied and I, and I did it part time. And um, it was interesting, the guy who was running this master's, he was a Uruguayan exile who lived in Brazil. And he was like moderated and kind of there at the end of revolutions and utopias. But was this kind of liberal humanist who was like, if you can prove with your arguments that you're legitimate, then you're legitimate. So it actually gave me space to be quite critical of his stuff and the paradigms he was sharing. And he... You know, I was going to have to drop out because I didn't have anything to pay the childcare. And because I'd gone over like five years, they wouldn't give me a loan for the study. Um, and, you know, I kind of did this first essay and he really liked it. I was going to use it in some article he was writing and it was critique of populism or something in Latin America. And uh, and so he helped me get funding because I would have had to drop out. So he helped me get funding for the for, to do that and, and help me with child, some of the childcare that this made it possible and then I kind of got housing I think the end of the first year and um and so I kind of went into that space with this can contribute to our struggles how 
how will this contribute to our struggles for transformation and for justice? And how can I take ideas from here or the space offered from here for the communities that I live in and work in and love in, right? And I kind of you know, when I when I finished the masters, he, he kind of said, "Why don't you do a PhD?" It's all about actually the left in Latin America and what happened, traditions, and how they'd all become neoliberalized. And um, I kind of carried on because I really liked the writing of it too. I liked the possibilities that were opening up. At the same time, as often I was critiquing everything that I was being taught, and I think that's why I have stayed. It's about so all the time when the different places I've worked and now being here in Newcastle University for nine years, it's been about to what extent can I contribute to my community struggles and the plural communities because there are different communities that I'm part of, work with, love and have responsibility to. And as time has moved as well and as I've removed the sacrificial, self-denying I don't have a fucking right to anything. Um, I also am like, well, actually, I need to be, you know, I'm the person in my family who is not in precarity, well, I am in precarity, there's still precarity, right, but who actually has permanent job and has and often has responsibilities with other members of the family and then with my kids as well. You know, we don't have inheritance, we don't have assets, we don't have anything to fall back on, it's my two-week salary, right? And it's like, um, I have a responsibility there and I also have a responsibility to myself. So there's, there's all these layers to it you know, as to my relationship with this institution. Um, but I've also always been a popular educator. So a lot of my work is, is community popular education and is research with that as co-created kind of healing pedagogies research and then trying to somehow create spaces of possibility and of healing justice within this institution, which is so layered and complicit with, you know, the geopolitical project of capitalist coloniality. So it's like, it's... um you know, you've got me at a point right now where there's quite a lot of burnout and where the battling, this fire, so the fire thing. So the fire of battling, because I'll often stand up, I can't watch things, right? That's just how I've always been. And if I do, it's kind of like I'm losing some of my soul. Um, but the fire, the battling, is, is exhausted me. And um, I really want some of that hearth fire and I really want to put the energies into the projects we have here, this in, intercultural survivor-led housing project, right, and popular education space here for our healing sovereignties. And, um, and that kind of work and that kind of stuff that actually is part of my soul is, is my res- biggest responsibility is, is the kind of things that also nurture me. And I find... Um, yeah, that the, uh, the violations and violences of, of this kind of space uh, are profound and are, and are enticingly kind of toxic and try to pull you in with its bureaucracy and how it takes over all your time, so your scarcity of time and space to breathe. And, um, and you know, actually, one of the biggest things that's interesting in how that frontier produces itself as often being like white middle class women actually policing me and policing us and that's also been a whole set of unlearning of and you know being able to speak back to the missionary and 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 the missionary and internalizing the idea that the missionary has something to help us with and actually no the fucking missionary doesn't actually they're just violating us but then do it in this really fucking nice way and it's very twisty and you get really you can get really confused and it misses up everything and and you know it's often done in a language of solidarity and of criticality and that's actually been a 
a quite painful line, actually. There's lots of obvious painful lines, overwork, gaslighting of management, you know, all this kind of stuff that we obviously can name. But then in the intricacies of everyday life, how the front it gets reproduced, bodies on bodies, subjectivities on subjectivities. There's there's often a lot of this violation that occurs, which is actually, you know, in the yeah, with this niceness and solidarity is trying to reproduce our enslavement. And that's very hard to speak. You can't how do you speak that and not be then accused of being some lunatic, you know, ungrateful, violent. Well, well, it's like Sarah Ahmed says, right? You know, when you name the problem, you become the problem, <laughs> which captures it so beautifully for me. Uh, along those lines, you know, I've been reflecting about solidarity and, and allyship and what they look like for you. How do you think um, allyship and solidarity kind of play out in social media where everything's so black and white, you know, and, and then how does it relate to the, the kinds of experiences you have on a day-to-day basis? I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that. And, and that's a very long-winded question, but maybe, maybe there's a way it resonates with you and that you can dive into, you know, because your work is so nuanced and so careful and thought out. And I just sort of wonder how you manage that space, but also kind of grapple with allyship and solidarity, particularly being someone who's, you know, has experiences of colonization, is making efforts to decolonize both your heart, your head, your mother lines, as you've already said? Well, I'm not so great on the online, <laughs> but I am in the person, like, so I'm, yeah. So, I mean, they relate. So we we actually have been thinking this, so we have a kind of collective here and a collective across territories too, some of them across other territories than so-called Australia, some in Australia, about um, kinship otherwise, kinship otherwise. So not solidarity as much as kinship otherwise. And um, and basically that that is about creating our own spaces. We call them the mangroves. The mangroves has all this like energy metaphorically, materially, historically, where a lot of women and children and what we call would hid with the invasion and, you know, seen as disgusting space. The mangroves themselves and the ecology are quite amazing they can exist in the fresh and the salt and take the salt out of the salt water and make it usable and underneath in the invisibility of their own visibility and being in the world and all these incredible roots that you can't see that enables this whole ecology to live so there's all these layers right and also we have the mangroves in Colombia so we have this kind of connection as well so we talk about the mangroves our own mangrove spaces and it's kind of like Spaces which are led and made up of Indigenous and women and other people of colour um, or queer folk who are on the margins or, you know, white working class folk who, as in excluded working class, who are on the margins. So all of us in some ways have been othered and have been subject in differential ways to these logics of erasure, these logics of violation and these logics of denial, right? And so we stretch and expand towards forms of kinship motherwise, which do not take individual possessiveness and the patriarchal family as a given, and which necessarily expand beyond the walls of a university or, or a particular institution or organisation, and that understand that our bodies and minds, our conditions of social reproduction, our well-being are all connected to what it is to be in this institution of education and to be possibly in here and to survive it, but also to flourish and to do the work that we want to be doing in responsibility with with our communities which are often broad and plural um, and which offer those kinds of spaces of holding 
right, which offer those kinds of spaces of deep listening, which work together with these pedagogical practices, which enable the recovery of knowledges and the remembering and the sovereignties in complex ways and enable the holding and the placing of that here in resistance, in standing. There were First Nations sisters who were part of this from these lands, but also with community here, right? And they enable that practice and that kind of centre that practice. And so for whom... You know, our politics of revolution, because you've got to think about revolution at the end, but revolution is decolonizing for me kind of thing, but um, is is takes seriously tenderness, the conditions of possibility of social reproduction, takes seriously the kind of psychosocial imprints, but also strengths that we carry, right? Takes seriously the things that we journey with, you know, in our everyday lives that often a lot of us actually do have trauma, <laughs> in all honesty. And I'm not at all about to focus on trauma. Mine's always strength-based, but it's also to read that through, that lens. And it's like it holds a space for the ways in which these institutions can mirror and reproduce and reenact our trauma, right? It holds a space for the way outside of the institutions, with other institutions of the state, we're also often facing trauma and elision and denial. So it gives space for that and gives space for the reimagining, the re-embedding of other practices of health, right? Of other practices of mothering, of other practices of, of um, food and herb. We've got this big thing about herbs going on. <laughs> and the herbs, anti-empire of the herbs and the recovery of the fucking herbs, right? But yeah, so it, it's like... it. It's it's kinship. It's more, I actually don't like solidarity shit. <laughs> I don't like the once removed. I don't actually want some once removed shit because often in the language of solidarity, both, you know, I don't like the distance of it and often how the, pe- the kind of missionary logic of kind of helping or we help is part of that. I want to, you know, we, 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 we crackle that shit actually um, <laughs> and are like, you know, I'm going to stand with you whilst... You're vomiting because you're detoxing. I'm going to hold you up and we are going to be present whilst you're having a psychosis. They sound really intense, but actually this is stuff I fucking live. We live all the time, right? We're going to be present when you're, you know, brutalised in a meeting for being a brown woman speaking out. And this then, you know, we're going to be present for that. We're going to accompany you. We're going to go and stand in the line at the court. Or we're going to go and, you know, help set up the space sacredly for the Black Lives Matter or for the vigil for Cassia. You know, we're going to be present in the complex ways that one could be present and present in body, present in spirit, present, yeah, and weaving these other forms of kin, these mother forms of kinship, right? That, that for me, is what sits. I, I don't really, yeah, <laughs> solidarity shit. I don't, I, just because of my experience, and I know there's all this work about solidarity and decolonizing, so, um, but actually it's, it's, it's something else for me. I still think there's so many separations and hierarchies often embedded in that and a kind of gaze on the other, and it's like, no, we're actually all fucking others, and we're all collectively here trying to, trying to, you know, play our responsibility in these lands and to First Nations sovereignty, which we have First Nations sisters in with us as part of this, as well as healing liberations collectively, because we've all been violated, right? But we also all carry wisdom. So I think that's what is more the kind of practice, actually, uh, for me, than that language of solidarity. 
I love the intimacy of uh, kinship, you know, because uh, as Spivak says, we can only critique what we're invested in. You know, like we, we've got to have skin in the game. We've got to be part of things. Otherwise, what have we got to lose? And we have to realize that actually we have everything to lose, you know, if, if we are committed to being present, as you say. But, but I was thinking about whether you might want to say something about social reproduction or healing justice. And then my last question was just going to be about where people can find more of your work. Well, I guess it cuts across social reproduction and healing justice. I mean, healing for me is not some individualistic therapeutic biomedical model, right? So when I, because I know that often even critical traditions and political traditions will be like, oh, this is just some individualistic, cultural, weird crap. It's like, no, this is rewelding. <laughs> These are other forms of philosophy, other forms of being, knowing and doing. And so precisely because I understand and uh, with others, it's not just me, right, in relation how this system is premised upon a kind of practice of abuse, right, and dispossession in all senses of the word, that healing then becomes a, a medicine and making which is pedagogical and political which I've kind of touched on when you talked about the daughter how does one become daughter right and home and mother and it's kind of linked with that but one of the ways we've been doing this and I just wanted to talk about it because they're so present for me and they accompany me as kin is through the herbs <laughs> so we have been in our intercultural collaboration in the mangroves um, we are trying to foreground a kind of gift economy form of housing which is home place which can hold all this complexity that I've kind of been touching on which is committed to sovereignty and taking back the city uh, which has a kind of radical education part where we can actually do the pedagogical practices the medicinal practices the kind of healing and, and flourishing joyous pedagogical practices that I've been talking about I can kind of do a bit of in the uni but actually it kind of tries to tries to kill the mother right so the uni is premised on killing of the black fucking mother and the indigenous mother so it's like we are there going against that creating these spaces but inevitably that's its logic right I don't think we can I've talked about this before it's impossible to decolonize the fucking uni but we can creating our own parallel kind of institutions and forms of, of learning and unlearning and, and these healing which is and part of this is also the herbs so one of the ways that we've been creating this kinship motherwise is to acknowledge that, yes, there are some things that we share in our experience of violation. There are some things we can name about this current system which dispossess or, or which are, are premised on our denial, right, and our social death, right, and epistemological death as well, right? But we also come from different places, and we also come from different languages and lineages. And we also potentially mean really different things when we talk about decolonizing, when we talk about healing, when we talk about homecoming, when we talk about lineages, and we talk about, you know, sovereignty, all these things. So to presume that can exercise erasure when you're trying to create kinship motherwise. Some of that kinship motherwise is in the everyday that I was saying, is in the creating things together. But some of that is taking the time, interestingly, that you said this too earlier, to learning to listen deeply, epistemologically, ontologically, deep, deep process, the pedagogies of that, right? The pedagogies of creating these ecologies of intimacy um, and how that's not easy work because everything around us is premised on the complete opposite, on monologue, on silencing, right? On assuming, on speaking over, on a politics of truth, which is about erasure. So we have taken time to come to this point of translation 
which doesn't reify fixity that you're that and you're that, but that enables a meeting to also understand that identities and practices and cultures are are shifting and an emergent and don't need to be fixed in categories that often have been used to name us, right? But that often we don't get to it straight away by going, right, let's sit down and talk about this. We get to it by practices which prefigure and in flesh and in body other forms of care and mutual aid and other forms of reproducing the conditions of our life right and so we've done this one of the ways is through we have a plant circle and we're growing plants because obviously plants and growing them means tending together means patience means caring and shifting roles means learning about cycles and understanding the weather and the climate and the soil and understanding the movement of a particular plant as kin. We work with different ones, but nettle was, was coming to me all before I was talking about this, which is for the grandmothers, right? And so we, we, you know, we're doing this, but we're also sharing in circle and creating with nettle and recovering the different knowledges we might have with nettle, for example. So for some, that's reading in books and saying, what are the properties of nettle? It's an Irvine, it's this, it's got these properties, it's got these, you know, vitamins, it's got these minerals. It can, for others, it's actually connecting so in my case, my, the abuelas, the, the, um, the grandmothers in the Colombian side, they did work with plants and the hands and healers. And so it's reconnecting with those lineages of the healing of the plants, right, of the working with the hands. And so I, I connect more ancestrally, spiritually. And so I kind of connect with the energies. And nettle travels as well. And nettle is both protector. Again, it's that fire thing. It's protector, but it's great nurturer, right? Completely nurtures and tends the system. Brings down your nervous system, right? So it has that hearth-making fire. But it also creates the space for that flow. When we feel safe, when we are nurtured, when our systems are strong. In multiple senses, not just I'm going to take a nettle tea or an infusion, right? And in doing this, we create the space for that tenderness, for that intimacy, for those different temporalities, for the beginning to the learning of each other's languages, for the creation of something otherwise in that magical mixture. But we also, and you know, other other uh, kind of decolonial feminists and other practitioners in this way will talk about this, that we are also contesting the empire. We're contesting the colony through this because we are weaving together, we are braiding together other ways of life-making practices, right? We are taking back our relationship with our plant kin, with the territories and the placeness of here, with our own histories, with our stories, and creating these complex intergenerational, intercultural forms of kinship and social reproduction i.e because we also use this for supporting so when i talked about the young ones you know and how types of traumas that perhaps maybe they might be living through because of the ongoing kind of colony and um you know the herbs are incredible to help where the systems continue to violate when mental health systems violate where addiction systems violate you know where police systems violate so it's like they also accompany us in practice with like the young ones or with the folk who are going through things. We, you know, 
we're taking them like a people's apocotherapy. My friend's got the word, my not word, you know, to take to practice, to take to event, events here. So, you know, the, with the vigil for Cassius, made a blend. Very, very much also for trauma if anyone had shock, if anyone was feeling the grief a lot needed flowing. Had some nettle in, definitely, but it also had lots of others. Big teapot. And we went around offering the tea to some of the elders and the aunties and some of the other sisters that were there holding the space, you know. And so these intimacies, they weave something other. They disrupt politics as normal, actually. They disrupt militancy as normal, right? But they also are creating this fabric. And, yeah, that for me creates this incredible strength. You know, when you weave, it's an incredible strength. It looks like a plant that's so, you know, it's just a little plant but actually can create those infrastructures of possibility, right, where we can actually shift past and remove the life or death force, I should say, anti-life force of um, these structures and systems of power. So that that um, connects for me the healing, pedagogies, justice, the social reproduction, the kinship motherwise. You know, what does it mean to decolonise and in feminist ways, in feminist and queer ways, um, that takes seriously the territories of land and the territories of body. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about um, nettle. <laughs> nettle needed to come. I am so happy to hear about the nettle. I was just sort of imagining you walking around with a teapot. At a, I did a teapot. It was lent from someone else because we couldn't find an urn because the urn didn't work. So now we're trying to work on getting an urn. But so I had this big teapot. It was lovely. Beautiful, beautiful. And and just what a gift that would have been for people there. I think that's a really lovely way for us to end. And I also wanted to ask you if there's a way that you'd like to end our time together. I'm going to put information about you uh, on our show notes. But where, where can people find your work, Sarah? seems to be all dotted all over the place. I tend to hate copyright, so I just kind of, it gets dotted and people dot things. There is a website that somebody helped me build, which actually is in my name, Sarah C. Motter, which is kind of semi there and you can get some stuff there. And then things are all dotted about and you'll find, you know, you find podcasts. I'm not, as I said, the social media stuff is not my greatest, but it's kind of getting this. There is definitely a space. And for example, you know, whilst I sit in a university, I also sit in community. And if, you know, the kind of somatic work of the territories of the body calls to you, like you can contact me because I can also work with you individually or work with you collectively in terms of those pedagogies. And that's something that is actually really dear to my heart in that practice. So if it does call to you um, with working with any of these, um, any of both the kind of maybe, um, I guess, manifestations of displacement, but also the strengthening of the joy and the survivance um, then that's something that I'm definitely here to support with if that calls to you. So you can there's emails, I think, on the website thing, and you'll buy my email. And then, yeah, if, you, if anyone wants to journey with the readings and part of my work is poetry too, and you're always free to connect in and share reflections and resonances and, and connections. I love that. And, um, yeah, it's just been very beautiful to get to talk to you, Ruth. I've been wanting to for a very long time. I feel a lot of resonances and I'm really honoured that you asked me to come here and, and share this space with you and that you you honoured me by listening in this way because it is actually so often one has to battle to be heard and actually the kinds of intimacies and ecologies of intimacies I'm talking about are about this, that we give time and space to each other 
and that we honour that and that we sit with it um, and that for both and everyone, hopefully, that's healing in some way, right? That offers some kind of magic and medicine. Thank you for the magic and medicine, Sarah. I just really want to acknowledge what a beautiful conversation we've had and uh, hopefully listeners take some fire and water with them through this uh, holy of holy seasons and many, many cultures and traditions. And uh, thank you for um, a really rich and deep conversation. And I look forward to many, many more with you. Thank you, Sarah, for the opportunity to talk about reclaiming the sovereignty practices of motherlines, the right to birth and be mothers and be in relation and kinship. You can find more great conversations over at ruthdesouza.com forward slash podcast. I'll also pop links to where you can learn more about Sarah's work if you'd like to delve deeper into the topics we discussed today. And if you got something out of the episode, please leave a rating, review, tell a friend and subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Doing that means other people can find the podcast. Next time on Birthing and Justice. I learned a lot about myself and about humanity and about nature and about God, about spirituality, about every element of life. I see differently with a different lens because of Beth. I'll be speaking with Asil Taya, a Melbourne-based Palestinian artist, creative director and cultural leader who uses her practice to advocate for artists of colour, mothers, children and young people. Asil uses the power of storytelling to create awareness, facilitate connections and humanise the experiences of people who've been displaced. Birthing and Justice with Dr Ruth D'Souza is written, hosted and produced by me, and recorded at my home on the traditional lands of the Bunwaring people of the Eastern Kulin Nations. Our sound design is by our editor, Olivia Smith. Thanks so much for listening. I really look forward to catching up again soon.